someone asked me about the date. I, I gave you the books of the Bible last week. It's on uh, Levener.com. If you don't have that, here it is right here on the screen. That little Excel uh, spreadsheet that we put together gives you the, the dates of the books of the New Testament because they're not written in order. And someone asked me, how do we know that Acts was written in 63 A.D.? 63 A.D. Well, uh, it closes, the book of Acts closes with Paul in prison for, in Rome for two years. That's found in Acts 28, verse 16, and then verses 30 and 31. And Paul, Paul, not Luke, but Paul was taken into prison uh, in Rome about 61, 62 A.D., and it's likely that this book was written at the end of Paul's two-year imprisonment because it talks about it. Talks about it, which was a little over 30 years after the crucifixion in 30 AD. So that's why we've pinpointed the book of Acts that Luke wrote, that Luke wrote uh, in 63 AD. We finished chapter 1 last week, and we get to chapter 2. And it starts off, when the day of Pentecost had arrived, they were all together in one place. We're assuming that that one place was the upper room where they met last week in chapter 1. The upper room being uh, the place where they met the week before Jesus was crucified, and they took the Last Supper. It said that there were 120 disciples, 120 disciples that were gathered in this room with the 12 apostles. Disciple being a learner, apostle being a teacher. They've now be, the 12 disciples have now become 12 apostles. Jesus breathed on them and gave them the ability to understand things and to be able to teach things. So now they're apostles because they actually spent time with Jesus. But it's Pentecost. Today is actually Pentecost. In Israel, and I'm assuming all over the world, Jews are celebrating Pentecost today. It just so happens that that is the chapter that we're studying today. What in the world is Pentecost? The Jews had seven feast festivals that they celebrated. Those were appointed by God through the Torah, the Torah being the first five books of the Bible, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. This specific festival is listed in Leviticus, and what it is, it's a celebration of the first fruits. There were three of the seven festivals that were celebrated because of the first fruits of the harvest. The first one would have been the Passover, the Passover which actually happened the week of Easter, 50 days before, 50 days before. Then this one, Pentecost, is the celebration. So they would bring in their first fruits of, of barley in that one. Pentecost, they would bring in their first fruits of wheat. Then in the fall, I think it's the Festival of Booths, 
I think that's what it is. I'd have to have to look at my notes. But they bring in the first fruits of grapes and olives. That's later on in the fall. But here's the crazy thing is, they're expected to travel to Jerusalem for all three of those festivals. There's no subways. There's no Ubers. There's no Lime scooters. There's no none of that transportation. So literally... Israel is the size of Indiana. It's the size of Indiana. And they had to come to Jerusalem three times a year. They were just there 50 days ago for the Passover. Now they have to come back and bring the first fruits of the Shavuot, the day of Pentecost. 50 days after the Passover. That's exactly what's going on. Now, think about this. Jerusalem at the time, 30 AD, was about the size of Westfield. 60,000 people. Isn't that about the size of Westfield? 60,000 people? Uh, I'd say Fishers, but they're up to like 95. So you got the size of Westfield living there, and then those festivals would bring anywhere from 150,000 people to half a million people to the city of Jerusalem to celebrate those festivals. It was chaos. Three times a year, they would come and they would bring their offerings, obviously the Passover being the big offering, but now they've all gathered. You've got two groups of people that are gathering. You've got your Jewish nation, which has followed the Pharisees all through Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Matthew chapter 12, they accuse Jesus of doing these miracles under the power of Beelzebub, the evil one, the devil, and they blaspheme the Spirit. And Jesus cut them off. They didn't believe that Jesus was the Messiah, that he was the Savior. Then you've got those Jews that actually believe that Jesus was the Messiah. That he was the Savior. That he is the one that all the prophets spoke about. So you've literally got two groups of people that are in this city of Jerusalem. Massive crowds you've got the upper room where there's 120 of Jesus' followers that have gathered and are praying, and Jesus told them to wait there in Jerusalem until the Spirit comes. So they're spending every day together, praying together, studying the Word. What's the Word? Well, all they had was the Old Testament at the time because none of the books of the New Testament had been written yet, right? So they're studying the words of the prophets. They're hanging out together. They're sharing stories about Jesus. They're saying Jesus is about to come back, Jesus is about to come back. He's just left them ten days ago. They kept thinking that as soon as Jesus ascended into heaven that he was going to return because he said he was coming back, right? Who knew how long? It's only been ten days. Maybe he's coming back next week. Here we are almost 2,000 years later and we're still waiting for Jesus to come back. That's a big difference. It changes your mindset when we've waited 2,000 years. And you'll see that here at the end of the story. So we pick up now 
chapter 2, when the day of Pentecost had arrived, they were together in one place. Let me say this too about Pentecost. What was the purpose of Pentecost? There was some beliefs that the Pentecost, the reason they celebrated that day, it was the day that God gave Moses the Ten Commandments. He gave the Jews the law. They all knew the law because they all tried to memorize the Torah. They literally had the Torah read to them every day. Read to them every day. And so these kids, especially the disciples, the Pharisees, the Sadducees, they all knew the law, they all knew the Torah, but the Torah was a special day. They also believed that it was the same day that King David was born on that day and also the day that he died. You'll see that in this chapter as Peter preaches the message here. So we get to chapter 2, verse 2. It says, suddenly, they're sitting here like you. Suddenly, a sound like that of a violent rushing wind. The actual Greek word there is noe. Noe, which you get the word pneuma, the Greek word pneuma, which actually means spirit, which actually means breath. There was a wind, a rush of wind, a breath of God that blew through this building, and it made a loud noise. We've been experiencing that a lot in our country over the last few weeks, the wind blowing through and making a loud noise. But watch what it says. It came from heaven. I'm assuming if it came from heaven, it was blowing down. And it filled the whole house where they were staying. They saw tongues like flames of fire that separated and rested on each one of them. Again, this is a great movie. Then they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in different tongues as the Spirit enabled them. Now this picture is this. This picture is there you got 120 people that are sitting in this upper room and all of a sudden this big flame, this wind starts blowing and a big flame appears. And all of a sudden it begins to split up into tongues that are on fire and it begins to rest on each one of them. There's a question whether it was just the 12 apostles or whether it was all 120 that were in the room. My estimate is that it was probably all 120 that were in the room. Because in a minute, he describes 15 different territories, 15 different languages, and there's only 12 disciples. So this tongues of fire that landed on each one of them, it symbolized this powerful witness of the church that was about to happen. This is what's getting ready to go down is, they were able to speak many different languages. And the, here's, here's the situation. They, they weren't unknown languages. It, it made sense what they were speaking. But it was different languages. You see what happened, the history is this. 
All throughout the Old Testament, the Jews obviously uh, lived in Jerusalem, but then at, when they were disobedient, God would come in and he would like let them be invaded by different countries. And they would take them, they would take them to Babylonia, and they would take them to different places, and they would get spread out. It's called the dispersion of the Jews. It's still happening today. They're all over the world today. But because of that, they learned different languages. They learned different dialects. They spoke different, even though that they were all Jews and they were dispersed all over the area. They were dispersed all over. They spoke different languages. And now all of a sudden, this flame of this tongue of flames came and landed on it, and they began speaking those different languages. They were understandable languages. There's two changes that happened right here that's critical to the church. Whereas we've seen in the Old Testament, King David and other prophets, the Spirit came on them. It just said right here, the Holy Spirit did what? Filled them. Like, it came in them. It filled them. The Spirit that we've been talking about three weeks ago in the introduction, we talked about eternity past, the Spirit that's always been existent with God and Jesus. That Spirit is now filled those in this very room. And in the Old Testament, when the Spirit came on them, it was just temporary. Now it's permanent. It's permanent. Once you believe that Jesus is the Son of God, that He came and died on the cross, He was crucified, His blood was poured out, forgiveness of sins, He's buried, rose again, went up to heaven, they sent the Spirit and it fills us. That's permanent. Nothing ever changes. It, you don't. The Spirit doesn't come in and out, in and out. It doesn't do that. It's there. It lives there. Lives. Every day. Every minute. Right there. And then. That's different than the past. Verse 5, it says this. Now there were Jews staying in Jerusalem, devout people from every nation under heaven. Again, they had come from all over the world, that region, to celebrate the Jewish festival of Pentecost. It says in verse 6, When this sound occurred, a crowd came together and was confused because each one heard them speaking in his own language. All these Jews came from all over the region speaking different languages, different dialects, and they heard these 120 speaking to them directly. I, I'm assuming that they spoke it and it wasn't just heard in their own language because of that flaming tongue that landed upon them. It says they were astounded and amazed saying, look, Aren't all these who are speaking Galileans, aren't all these 120, they're from Galilee? Yet they're able to speak from all over the regions? What is going on here? Something has happened. How is it that each of us can hear them in our own native language? Then it lists them, let me try to say these. Parthians, Medes, 
Elamites, those who live in Mesopotamia, that's just north of the Mediterranean Sea, just north of Greece, in Judea, in Cappadocia, Pontus, and Asia, Phrygia, Pamphylia, Rome, or excuse me, Egypt, and parts of Libya near Cyrene, visitors from Rome, both Jews and converts, Cretans and Arabs, we hear them declaring the magnificent acts of God in our own tongues. They were all astounded and perplexed, saying to one another, what does this mean? (laughs) But some sneered and said, hey, they're just drunk on new wine. They're just drunk. Let's... Let's, let, let, let's just identify him as drunk. Now, watch this. It doesn't say that they were out preaching the gospel. It doesn't say they were out declaring what Jesus has done. In all these different languages and all these different dialects, guess what they're doing? All they're doing is praising God. That's all they're doing. Something amazing happened... Yet all these Jews were able to understand exactly what they were saying and what they were praising God about. Now, Luke sat there and named 15 different geographical locations and clearly stated that the citizens of those places right there heard Peter and the others declare the wonderful works of what God had done in their own language. Now, look at this. I can't, I can only, I'm only point to this one up here. The one on the left is during those current times that we're talking about in the book of Luke. You can clearly see up here in the water up on the left that Jerusalem is right there below where it says Canaan. That's Jerusalem. That's where 150,000 to half a million people gathered. Yet the Jews came from all over this region, including off the map to the left, which is where Greece, Italy, Rome is. Then you, I'll help you and put this map on the right, and you can literally see today's world. They came from Iran. They came from Turkey. They came from Greece. They came from Italy. They came from Egypt. The Arabs came. All these Jews came from all these different regions and the land to Jerusalem. He listed 15 of them. Yet they were clearly able to hear what Peter was saying. Now watch this. Verse 14. Peter stood up with the 11. Wait, the 11. The 11 original ones but they had also in the last chapter done what? Voted in Matthias. And raised his voice and proclaimed to them, Fellow Jews, and all you residents of Jerusalem, let me explain to you this to you and pay attention to my words. I love saying that. You guys always make fun of me for my, watch this, get this. This is really what he's saying right here. Pay attention to my words. For these people are not drunk, as you suppose, since it's only nine in the morning. This was the festival, the celebration. 
Orthodox Jews did not eat or drink before 9 a.m. on the Sabbath or on a festival day. There's no way they could be drunk. So be it that the Lord did this before 9 a.m. just to prove a point. He says, on the contrary, this is what was spoken through the prophet Joel. Joel 2, verses 28 through 32 says this, And it will be in the last days. He's talking about the end times, not specifically about this moment, but, but, Paul, but Peter is sitting here and taking the prophet's words that is referring to the last days and putting them into this very moment right here. He says, And it will be in the last days, says God, that I will pour out my Spirit on all people. Then your sons and your daughters will prophesy, your young men will see visions, and your old men will dream dreams. And I will even pour out my Spirit on my servants in those days, both men and women. And, I, and they will prophesy, both men and women. And they will prophesy. I will display wonders in the heaven above and signs on the earth below, blood and fire and a cloud of smoke. The sun will be turned to a darkness and the moon to blood before the great and glorious day of our Lord comes. Again, Joel's referring to the end times. Then everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. What I'm saying here is Peter did not say that this Pentecost festival, what was occurring right there was the fulfillment of, of Joel's prophecy. When you read Joel's prophecy in context, you see that it deals with the nation of Israel, but it's in end times and in connection with the day of the Lord. However, Peter's saying, this is that same Holy Spirit that Joel is talking about. He is here today. Peter's saying, whatever Joel's referring to, it's happening right here, right now. But now there's 120 people that are listening to it. Verse 22, it says, fellow Israelites, listen to these words. This Jesus of Nazareth was a man attested to you by God with miracles, wonders, and signs that God did among you through him. Just as you yourselves know, you watched it happen over the last three years. You saw it firsthand. Literally, Jesus had died 50 days ago. These Jews knew about Jesus and what he had done. Though he was delivered, though he was delivered up according to God's determined plan and foreknowledge, he knew all the way back eternity past. You used lawless people, the Romans, to nail him to a cross and kill him. God raised him up, ending the pains of death because it was not possible for him to be held by death. Jesus overcame death. He won that battle. And it says, for David says of him, I saw the Lord ever before me because he is at my right hand. I will not be shaken. Therefore, my heart is glad and my tongue rejoices. Moreover, my flesh will rest in hope because you will not abandon me in Hades or allow your Holy One to see decay. You have revealed the path of life to me and you will fill me with gladness 
in your presence. That's David's words. He knew that he was going to die. He knew that he was going to go to Hades, the underworld, the paradise side, Abraham's bosom side. He knew and he was going to wait for Jesus to come and rescue him. He knew. Now Peter's like saying this is what he knew. Verse 29, it says, Brothers and sisters, I can confidently speak to you about the patriarch David, King David. He is both dead and buried. We know exactly where he's buried. And his tomb is with us to this very day. We all know where he is. Since he was a prophet, he knew that God had sworn an oath to him to seat one of his descendants on his throne. There was going to be a descendant of David that was going to sit on the throne. Jesus is a descendant of David. It says, seeing what was to come, he spoke concerning the resurrection of the Messiah. Again, he quotes him. He was not abandoned in Hades and his flesh did not experience decay. God had raised this Jesus. We're all witnesses of this. Therefore, since he has been exalted to the right hand of God and received from the Father the promised Holy Spirit, he has poured out what you both see and hear. For it was not David who ascended into the heavens, but he himself says, The Lord declared to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. Peter is preaching to the Jews who understand exactly who Joel is, the prophet, exactly who King David was. He was the king of Israel. And all the prophecy that they both spoke. Peter's sitting there telling them the truth, what they know. This is both the believers and the doubters that are listening to Peter. Jesus of Nazareth had indeed been raised from the dead and the resurrection, this resurrection, because he came back and he walked among us. You all saw him. This proves he's the Messiah. How can you deny that he is the Savior? How can you deny that Everything that Joel talked about, everything that David talked about is coming true. Peter gave them four proofs just then of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And he's literally calling on them to believe this so that they can be saved. That first proof was this, was the person of Jesus Christ. He is Jesus. Peter's audience knew that Jesus was a real person from the town of Nazareth. You can go today, and even atheists will tell you that Jesus was a real person. He was a real person. We know history-wise that Jesus was born, and he was raised in Nazareth. That doesn't take faith to realize that. Peter's second claim is this was the prophecy of David. David said this was going to happen. And Jesus has made it happen exactly like David quoted it in Psalm 16, verses 8 through 11. They knew what David had said. They 
they knew that David spoke about the resurrection of the Messiah. And then the third proof was this, was the witness of the believers. After Jesus, His resurrection, He didn't appear to the world at large, but He did appear to those that believed in Him. Jesus literally came back, ate with them, talked with them, hugged them, loved them, hung out with them. And then the fourth proof of the resurrection of Christ was the presence of the Holy Spirit. Joel said there's going to be a Holy Spirit that comes. If the Holy Spirit is in the world, then God must have sent Him. If He's here today, the only way He got here was because of God. Joel promised that one day that Spirit would come and you're seeing it. Jesus had to die for the Spirit to come. Literally what Peter is doing right here is he's taking all the puzzle pieces that they know and understand from the Old Testament and putting those pieces together right in front of them. How can you not believe this? This is literally what happened. Now watch what he says. Verse 36. Therefore, let all the house of Israel know with certainty that God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, both Lord and Messiah. All you Jews need to see that He's the Messiah. All the Pharisees and Sadducees have betrayed you in saying that he's not. What are you going to believe? Are you going to believe them? Or are you going to believe what has unfolded before your very eyes? It's all proof. It's all written right here. You know the word. You saw what's happened. What are you going to believe? Here we go. Verse 37. When they heard this, they were pierced to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, Brothers, what should we do? Obviously, we can clearly see this is what, what's unfolding here. Everything that you've said about Joel, everything you've said about David, and you've matched it with Jesus, it's true. So now, what do we do? Peter replied, Repent and be baptized, each of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Wow. That sounds like a formula right there. Just do this and you're good. Here's what we know. Here's, here's what I know based upon what I've taken through these passages of Scripture. Is one, we get to a point, let's just say that. The, the old covenant is based upon us, uh, based upon the Jews doing everything for themselves, doing it in their own strength. That didn't work for them. We remember because they were disobedient. They didn't obey God's word. They couldn't do it in their own strength. It caused the whole dispersion all over the world. Even to this day, they disobeyed God. But then they came to a point of repentance. And God would bring them back together somewhat. Again, then they would repeat the whole process. That's the whole Old Testament. It just keeps happening over and over and over. 
And Jesus finally gets to the point where he's like, okay, we've proved that you can't do this on your own, so I'm going to die on the cross and I'm going to do this for you. I'm going to actually come here and I'm going to send a spirit, a helpmate, a paraclete, it's called, to live inside of you and he's going to cause you to do these things a lot if you allow him to he will live your life for you so what do we have to do you have to get to the end of yourself where they did in the old testament we realize this isn't going to work you get to the end of yourselves and you basically get to the point you raise your hand some of you in this room are at a point where you're at the end of yourselves and you just need to raise your hand. That's a hard thing to do. That raising your hand says, I need help. I need help. I, I've done this long enough in my own strength. I just need to surrender. That is a decision, an act of faith that you make on your own. I do not believe that God makes that decision for you. You come to the point out of free will where you say help. And as soon as you do that, as soon as you do that, it says in Romans, God leads us to repentance through his kindness. He takes you to a point of repentance where you actually repent. What does repent mean? It means to have a change of mind. I'm changing my mind about things. I see things differently. Literally, at the point that you believe, the point that you believe, there's this whole thing that happens. He even gives forgiveness. All you have to do is repent. He gives forgiveness. He died on the cross. His blood was poured out. It was his blood that gives forgiveness. In the old covenant, when the animals were sacrificed and blood was poured out, all that did was cover their sin. It was an atonement for sin. It wasn't forgiveness. It didn't actually take the sin away. It just covered it. Jesus' blood was perfect and holy. He was the perfect sacrifice. He was the lamb, the paschal lamb at the Passover. When his blood was poured out, it not only covered your sin, but it removed your sin forever. I have no idea where it is, but it's gone. Everything that you've done, everything you're doing, and everything that you're going to do has already been dealt with. Get this. That's the basics of Christianity right there. That we who believe in Jesus Christ as the Son of God are completely forgiven. I, I, I asked when I was eight years old, Lord, forgive me of my sins, and He did. I continued to ask only because that's what I was told to do. It wasn't until later in life I'm like, oh, we live in a state of forgiveness. Thank you, Lord, for forgiving me back when I was eight years old. And taking my old heart out, my cold stone heart out that Jeremiah talks about and putting a new heart of flesh in that Ezekiel talks about, for giving me a change of mind, I've actually had the mind of Christ that Paul talks about. It's taken me a long time to figure this out. 
And I'm still figuring it out to this very day. So I raised my hand and said, help. He's led me to repentance. He's given me forgiveness. I received the Spirit the moment that I believed. He filled my body. I didn't have to wait. And then I got baptized. Only because he said, do this in obedience. What saved me? What saved me? My belief, my faith alone. It wasn't baptism, wasn't any of that. He gave me repentance, allowed my life to be changed. True repentance. From faith to repentance. And now I'm able to walk this earth with the Holy Spirit inside of me that keeps saying to me, Rusty, I redeemed you. I made you holy. I've forgiven you. You're a child of God. Let me do this life for you. Stop what you're doing. Just let me do this. Let me teach them. All right. Better you than me. That's for sure. And so every day I'm learning more and more to let go of myself and to trust the Father to live his life through me. He says in verse 39, He says, for the promise is for you and for your children and for all who are far off, as many as the Lord our God will call. With many other words, he testified and strongly urged them, saying, be saved from this corrupt generation. Here's what Peter just said. He says, like, look around you. There's a lot of corruption going on around you. That is accepted, this corruption is accepted and it's actually being normalized in our culture today. <laughs> if you don't know what corruption is, just take the Word of God and read it. Look at the world, see what they have to offer. It's not the same thing. It's not the same thing. And now they're going to dismiss you as you being drunk. Oh, they've just been drinking. They're crazy. Those Jesus followers, those people are nuts. That's what Peter's saying. He's saying, turn from what is sucking you into this worldly view and be ready to be opposed because the corruptness they can't understand what you know. You know something completely different. They're not going to understand it. They're going to try to get you to go back into the corruptness. That's what Peter's saying to him right here. There's a new view with the help of the Spirit who's come to live your life for you, I promise you. To close out these last few verses, this is, this is what did I say earlier? They anticipated Jesus coming back any day. Any day. We've waited almost 2,000 years. Uh, well, he's probably not coming back in my lifetime. We'll just do the church thing. Compare this. Verse 41. 
So those who accepted his message were baptized, and that day about 3,000 people were added to them. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. Four things. They committed to being taught. They committed to hanging out together. They committed to eat meals together. And to pray together. That was the very first church. That's the original church. That's what Phil's reading about and studying about. How organic is this thing? They stuck around and got taught by the twelve and became their disciples. It says, verse 43, everyone was filled with awe <laughs> and many wonders and signs were being performed through the apostles. The question I have for you is, can you see the awe of God? Church, you, you have to see the awe of God. And when you see the awe of God, and you actually experience it, it changes everything. But if you're just following the law, following the rules, doing, doing the church thing, and you totally miss the awe of God, uh, you still have salvation, you're still saved, but man, you're missing out on a whole heck of a lot. When you can see the awe of God, what God does, and go outside, what He does in here with relationships, what He even does through grief and tragedies and things like that, the awe of God, that's life. He says, now, all the believers were together and held all things in common. They sold their possessions and property and distributed the proceeds to all as any had need. We're not going to need this. Jesus is coming back. We're getting ready to go. We don't need this stuff. If you need it, take it. You need it? Cheers. Every day they devoted themselves to meeting together in the temple. Let's go hang out together. Let's just talk about what the Lord is doing. Every day it says... Every day. We got small groups that are happening every day of the week in this group. They broke bread from house to house. How many of you people were in my house this last week? Raise your hand. I had a lot of people in my house this last week. But that's what we do. I don't need a big facility to manage. Let's just go hang out at each other's house. Let's just go hang out at the well coffee house. Let's go hang out at Panaris, Sunrise, whatever your place is. It's organic. It says they ate their food with joyful and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And every day the Lord added to their number those who were being saved. Those who were simply believing, yes, Jesus is the Messiah. Yes, Jesus is the Savior. Yes, Jesus is the one that David, Joel, and all the prophets spoke about. 
That is the church. That's what we do. Lord, I pray that um, you continue to uh, mold us into that Acts chapter 2 church that we literally um, can figure out what that looks like, just loving each other, fulfilling needs, being able to hear your spirit, being able to see the awe of God. May you do that in this very room, in this very group. Wow. That would be amazing. That would cause people to want what we have. May you do that in our lives, and I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.